You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to this Tuesday edition of the How to Win podcast. These podcasts are based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Guess what? We win in Christ. Listen, it's Tuesday. I'm so glad to have you with us today. Please tag a friend. Let them know that we're live. You can get us on Facebook. You can get us on YouTube. You can always go to Mike Moore Ministries. Listen, we're in a transition. I'm transitioning at the end of the year into a full time as it relates to Mike Moore Ministries. And so we're transitioning over to Mike Moore Ministry. You can always get us get us on Mike Moore Ministries. Listen, it's going to be great today. I got my iPad here. You can send your questions in, your comments in. At the end of the teaching, I'll go to my iPad and I'll look at your questions. Please send them in a little early. So at the end, I'll have the questions and then I'll close out by answering some of your questions. We're going to begin a new series today on prosperity. It's it's so interesting the way the Spirit of God leads us because I began a short two lesson series on tithing should Christians tithe uh, this past Sunday. And I didn't plan it this way, but I'm actually beginning a new series on, on prosperity. So it all goes together. We're glad to have you with us. We're going to begin a new series uh, entitled the truth about poverty, the truth about poverty. Jesus said over in John chapter 8, verses 32, 30 through 32, he says that if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We want to talk about the truth about poverty the truth about poverty. Please hit my clock there for me. The truth about poverty. It's going to be a blessing. Uh, my subtopic, and this this probably just going to be a short series. It's probably going to be a short series. Uh, but my subtopic is today, the cure for poverty. What is the cure for poverty? Now, let's begin. Let's begin. I want in this lesson to talk about the origin of poverty, the nature of poverty, the levels of poverty, and then we're going to close out by talking about the cure for poverty. Let's go back to the origin. Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. These verses communicate after the fall of Adam, after Adam transgressed, God confronted Adam and he said some words to Adam. In verse 17, it says, Then to Adam God said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, 
saying, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground for your sake. Listen at that. Curse is the ground for your sake. And toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face shall you eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it were you taken the ground, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. This is after the fall of man. God here is reprimanding Adam, and he says that the ground from this point on will be cursed because of your transgression. He said to Adam that you will eat from a cursed ground, It'll bring forth thorns and thistles, a lack of productivity. Then he says, from the sweat of your face, God never intended for us to just prosper out of our own labor and our own sweat. He said, in toil, you bring forth a, a, a harvest. God never intended for us to toil. So we see the curse. Satan is the author of poverty because he led Adam, he led uh, Eve into this temptation of disobeying God. So Satan is the author of poverty. This text introduces poverty, and we see that poverty came in the earth on the heels of Adam's sin and disobedience to God. So poverty is a part of the death and the curse connected to the original sin. We see there was no poverty until Adam sinned. So when we go all the way back to the origin, we see that poverty is connected to man's disobedience. And we're talking here about the original sin. That's the origin of the poverty. Now let's move over and let's talk about the nature of poverty, the nature, the character of poverty. And remember, we're talking about the truth. We want the truth. And the Bible gives us the truth. We're not talking logic. We're not talking reasoning. We're ta not talking experience. We're talking truth. So let's talk about the nature of poverty. There are two things I want you to get out of this portion of the lesson. Number one, poverty is e evil. And then secondly, poverty is destructive. Poverty is evil and poverty is destructive. And second, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, Genesis 2, 17, God gave a restriction to Adam. He said, of every tree you may freely eat, all the trees you can freely eat, they're good for food, pleasant to the sight, the scripture says in, the, in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 17 is a restriction. He says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat 
For in the day that you eat of it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Now notice the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, that everything God created was good, including man. So man knew good, only good, only good. There was no evil in the earth, only good. That was God's will. That's God's will today, but that was God's will in the beginning, that man only experience good. Now, God said, if you eat from that tree, you will be eating, now watch this, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't the tree of good and evil. It was the tree of the knowledge, the experiential knowledge of good and evil. So God said that if you eat from this particular tree, you will come into the experiential knowledge of good and evil. Well, here's, here, here's something I want you to think about. At this point, when the command is given, what is Adam experiencing? He's experiencing good. He only knew good. He only knew good. And we don't know how long it was Adam was in the garden before Eve and Adam ate from that tree. We don't know. It could have been years. It could have been centuries. It could have been decades. We don't know for sure. But all they knew was good because that was, so some people call this tree the tree of good and evil, but that's not what, what the Bible calls it. The Bible calls it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the experiential knowledge. In other words, Adam, when you eat from this tree, you will not only experience good like you're experiencing now, but you will experience good and evil. And that was never God's intent. It was never God's intent for man to experience good and evil. God wanted man to only experience evil. So when man ate from the tree, man began to experience something that he had never experienced before. He had never experienced guilt that comes under the heading of evil. He had never experienced fear that comes under the heading of evil. He had never experienced sickness that comes under the heading of evil. He had never experienced disunity that comes under the heading of evil. Adam and Eve had never, they had never argued and, and never were in disagreement with each other. But after they ate from that tree, they came in the knowledge of evil, good and evil. So poverty, which didn't exist before they ate in their experience, now they're experiencing poverty. So we see that poverty is an evil thing. It's an evil thing. Now, we're not talking about the people who are experiencing poverty. We're talking about the condition itself. 
From God's perspective, we're talking about the truth. Poverty is an evil thing. Now, you say, well, why is it important for us to understand the nature of poverty? Well, the Bible says over in James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There are some things that we should submit to. There are some things that we should resist. We should submit to God, to his word, to his ways, to his will, to his plan, to his purpose. But then we're to resist the devil. We're to resist the devil. We're to resist demons. We're to resist the works of the devil. We're to resist anything that comes under his jurisdiction. And poverty comes under the jurisdiction of evil. Not talking about the person. We're not talking about the individual. We're not saying that the person who's experiencing poverty is evil. I am talking about the truth of how God sees things, and God sees the condition of poverty as evil. You have to know that. If you don't know that, you will tolerate it. You will just think it has to be because it is. No, you're supposed to resist poverty with all of your might. Now, We're talking about the nature of poverty. Secondly, not only is poverty evil, poverty is destructive. Say that. Poverty is destructive. Say it one more time. Poverty is destructive. Now, our proof text for that is Proverbs 10, verse 15. Proverbs 10, verse 15, the B portion, that's the latter part of the verse. Here's what it says. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. Now, listen at that. This is the truth. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. God says it. The word of God says it. Proverbs 10, 15b. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, the destruction of the poor is their poverty. Poverty is destructive. Now, poverty destroys Okay, what does poverty destroy? Poverty destroys a man's ability to live the quality of life that God intends. Poverty destroys a man's ability, an unsaved man's ability, a saved man's ability to live the quality of life God wants men to live. It destroys the quality of life that God wants you to live. Remember what Jesus said in John 10, 10? He said, the thief comes to take away from us. The thief, the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy But I am come, Jesus says, I am come bringing the will of the Father. I am come that you might have life, the God quality of life, and that you might have it abundantly. But poverty destroys man's ability 
to live the quality of life, that abundant life, that God quality of life that God intends for you to experience. Poverty destroys. Secondly, man's ability to obey Jesus in giving, it destroys man's ability to obey Jesus. You want to obey Jesus. Don't you want to obey Jesus? Sure you do. Well, poverty destroys your ability to obey Jesus in giving. Luke 6, 38 says, and Jesus is speaking, give and it shall be given unto you. Give. Jesus says give. That's present tense continuum. That's not gave. Gave is an event. Give is continuous. God intends for us to be givers. Givers. It should be a way of life. Give and it shall be given unto you. Give and it shall be given unto you. Give. That's God's order. God intends to bless men in the earth. But he doesn't rain blessings down through the sky. He uses his people and we become vehicles to express God's kindness and God's love in the earth through our giving. You know, I've said this often in the church that I pastor. I pastor a wonderful church, Faith Chapel in Birmingham, our main campus in Faith Chapel in Columbus, Georgia. And I've said this, and, and it sounds kind of funny when I said it, say it, but I, I I confess now that I am Santa Claus. Now most people have heard about Santa Claus. Santa Claus is that 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 myth about this man, this jolly man who gets on his uh his his thing and he brings toys to kids, you know. You 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 know Santa Claus. Well, Most people, even Christians, have a Santa Claus mentality. They want someone to give to them. They want someone to bless them. They want someone to, and they're praying, God, send somebody. God, speak to someone to give to me. And and I walked in that for years. God, speak to somebody. God, use somebody. God, help me, you know. Well, I realized that God didn't want me to just be on the receiving end. He wanted me to be a channel of his blessings. So I realized that it wasn't some person in the North Pole that was Santa Claus. I was Santa Claus. God wanted to use me as a vessel to be able to get his love and his goodness and his resources to others. And I love being Santa Claus. But you're called to be Santa Claus. You're called to be a channel of blessings where God can dispense good to others and help people and deliver people. But poverty destroys your ability to be Santa Claus. Poverty destroys early in my life as a Christian. I long to help people. I wanted to help people, but I, I could only pray, God bless them, God help them, God do this, God do this for them. But I wasn't a channel of blessing. You see, poverty was destroying my ability to be Santa Claus. Poverty was destroying my ability to be a dispensary, a channel of blessing. So it's destructive. 
thirdly, poverty destroys man's ability to reach and influence the world. Poverty destroys man's ability to reach and influence the world. The gospel will change lives regardless to who, regardless to where, regardless to how low people are, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of of his redemptive work, the gospel that he came to bring salvation to men. It will save men all over the planet, all over the world. It will save men who are homeless. It will save men who are wealthy. It will save men who are atheists. It will save men who are religious. It will save men. The good news of the gospel is the power of God to salvation, but it takes financial resources to get the gospel to the world. And it poverty destroys the church ability. It destroys ministers' ability, destroys Christians' ability. It destroys man's ability to reach and influence the world. So we've talked about the origin of poverty. We've talked about the nature of poverty. It's evil. It's destructive. So now let's talk about the levels of poverty, the three primary levels of poverty. And if you're experiencing poverty, you fall in one of these levels. Level one is lack. Psalms 23, one, the Amplified Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd to feed, guide, and shield me. I shall not lack. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. Lack is a level of poverty. It's a level. I call it the lowest level. Uh, Lack means to be deficient. It means to be short. I'm short. I just don't have enough of what I need. It means to be without that which is essential or needed. When you are without what is essential for life, when you're without what is needed for life, you're experiencing lack. You're experiencing the first level, the low level of poverty. You show it. I mean, you want to pay the bill and you have part of the money, but you're short. You're without what is essential. For example, if you're without food, that's lack. If you're without clothing, that's lack. If you're without housing, that's lack. If you're without transportation, a car, you need transportation, you need a vehicle, that's lack. If you're without a job, that's lack. If you're without money to give, remember we talked about your you being in a position to be Santa Claus. If you are without money, you, you just have no money to give, that's lack. That is a level of poverty, and God does not want you to experience lack. It is not God's will for you to experience lack. Now, look at lack. The Lord is my shepherd. We quote that, and Christians quote that. I shall not want. Want means lack. I shall not lack. If the Lord is your shepherd, the Scripture says, his job is to feed you, guide you, and protect you. Therefore, you 
I, we should not lack. But think about all the Christians, not just unsaved, but all the Christians who are experiencing lack. That's that low level. And that's there are different degrees of lack. You, The homeless person living under the bridge is experiencing a lack. And then the other person that has nowhere to live um, or maybe living with someone else or uh, doesn't have transportation, got a job, but can't get to the job because I don't have a car. That's lack. I got the job, but I they want me to wear this kind of clothes. I don't have this kind of clothes. That's lack. Then there's another level of lack, another level of poverty. It's a little above uh, lack. That's scarcity, scarcity. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 9 in the New King James Version. Now, you have to go back up to verse 7. I won't, I won't read verse 7. I'm going to read verse 9. But in verse 7, God is promising his people, Israel, to bring them into a land. He's talking about the promised land. He calls it a good land. He calls it a land that flows with milk and honey. Then in the ninth verse, he gives us revelation about scarcity. He says, this land that I want to bring you into, this land that I want to bring to you, it will be a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. You will eat bread, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 9, New King James Version. You will eat bread without scarcity, and in which, in this land, you will lack nothing. So we see two levels right here in this one text. He says, in this land, you'll eat bread without scarcity, scarcity, and in it, you will lack nothing, lack. Notice those two levels. We talked about lack, but he said, now, I want you in a place where you eat bread without scarcity. So what is scarcity? Scarcity is a very limited supply. Scarcity is you have barely enough, barely enough, Scarcity is when there's no room for emergencies. Man, you got your budget and you can't, nothing can go wrong. Oh my goodness, no. You can't have no unexpected expenses. Anything that comes, uh, a pipe burst, uh, you have to repair the pipe, you have a repair you have to make on the automobile, you have to get a new set of tires. Nothing can be off when you live in, in scarcity. No room for emergencies, no unexpected expenses, no room for the needs of others. You like to help people, but you got to pay your bills. You got to pay your bills. You can't help anybody. That's scarcity. No money for savings. You can you can pay your bills. You get your check. You pay your bills. You can't save anything. You can't invest anything. That is scarcity. I call it a hand-to-mouth existence. You get your check. You get paid on Friday. And you can pay your bills and do what you have to do, 
but you spending it all. You can't save anything. You can't invest any money. No investment in the children's education. You know they want you want them to go to college one day, but you don't you don't have any money for that. You don't have any money to give. You don't have any money for this. You got enough to make it in. Oh, listen, when you're in lack, it's almost like your nose is below the water. But when you're in scarcity, your nose is up. You're breathing now. You can get some air. You can breathe, but you got to make it to the next paycheck. The Spirit of God spoke to me years ago. I keep a journal. And he said this concerning his people. And I, I, I wrote it down in my journal. He said, working every day, barely making it. Working every day, barely making it. And that's where some Christians are. They are working every day and barely making it. They make it to the next paycheck. Then they make it to the next paycheck. Then they make it to the next paycheck. They're barely making it. That's scarcity. The, the, the next level is a little above that, but it's still poverty. I call it unfulfilled desire. Unfulfilled desire. Unfulfilled desire. Psalms 37 verse 4, it says, delight yourself in the Lord also, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. Put God first. Delight in him. Make him the joy of your life. Separate yourself unto God. Walk with God. Delight in him. And then God says, he shall give you the desires of your heart. Don't, don't. Now we know these desires are consistent with a godly life. He's not going to give you somebody else's wife. Uh, he's not going to give you somebody else's house. I claim that house. Well, this person is living in the house. They're not planning on selling their house. You can't be believing for that person's house. That's covetousness. Okay. But God says that he'll give you the desires of your heart. Those are desires that are consistent with a godly life. Don't water that down. Don't here. We're not talking about meat. God says, I'll supply your need. Yes, I'll supply your need. This ain't talking about meat. Don't water this down. God wants you to have some of your desires, not just your needs. My, when my kids, my kids, my uh, children are adults now, but when they were little, I didn't just want them to have their needs. Sure. My wife and I wanted them to have clothing. We wanted them to have food. We want them to have their books and have uh, school supplies. We wanted them to have everything that they need to be successful as kids, as children. But we didn't just want them to have their needs. Sometimes they wanted a bicycle, you know, uh, they wanted some kind of game or uh, they, they wanted to to be in the band or they they didn't need to be in the band, but they wanted to be on the softball team or the baseball team. And uh, uh, they wanted uh, they wanted to go to Disney World. Uh, they they didn't have to go to Disney World to be happy. They didn't. But as parents, my wife and I, we wanted them to have desires. We wanted to give them some things they wanted, not just what they need. Now think about it. Think about it. Come on now. I, I don't think I'm going to finish this lesson, but it's all right. Think about it. Why would a God 
a God? Why would a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who owns the earth and the fullness of it, why would a God that says the silver is mine and the gold is mine, why would a God who owns everything, I mean own it, now, we're possessors. You, you talk about the richest person in the world, and this person is a billionaire, and that person is a billionaire. These are possessors. They're stewards. They're not owners. You know how I know this billionaire is not an owner, that billionaire is not an owner? Watch. When they die, not a single penny of what they, uh, they possess will follow them. You know why? We're not owners. We're possessors. So God really owns everything. And if you're born again, he's your dad. Why in the world? Come on, let's, let's move the religion off. Come on. You don't have to sin because you have desires met. Why do I? You know, I've walked with the Lord for over 40 years now. And God has blessed me with nice cars. God has blessed me uh, with nice clothes. Uh, He's blessed me with a beautiful big home. That's not a need. I mean, God could have just gave me enough space to survive. I mean, think about it. I wear nice clothes. And, you know, I I can afford tailor-made clothes suits that a a, a tailor puts together that fits my body. I don't need that. I don't need it. I don't need it. But God is not just concerned about our needs. And I know religion and theology and and people say, well, you don't need all that because that's greed. And God ain't concerned about your needs, you know. It's all is this mentality that if we have things, we're going to backslide, that we're not going to love God. We're going to love him less. We're going to fall in love with things. That's a possibility. But you don't have to not love God because you're wealthy. You don't have to not love God because you have a tailor-made suit. I mean, you can love God. You say, I don't care about that kind of stuff. That's fine if you don't care. That's fine if you don't, but don't tell others it's wrong, okay? If you want to live in a small house with one bathroom, that's not a sin. You got a right to do that. But don't tell the other person who has five bathrooms that there's something wrong there. No, no, no. If you're happy, that's fine. Let's not judge others. And let's not tell the wealthy person you're going to hell because you're wealthy. No, if that's a person who loves God, committed to God, they can actually give more finances to the kingdom than maybe others can. Doesn't make them more important. It just simply means that they have more tools to offer. Now, why am I going through all this? Because so many Christians, they're, 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 they're operating in a level of poverty that they don't know they're living it. Watch this. Unfulfilled desire. What is that? That is 
if you want to call it this, the high level of poverty, if you want to call this, Psalms 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. Now, if you delight yourself in the Lord, then that means you ain't going to be wanting stuff outside of his will. You're just not going to be wanting it, okay, because you're delighting yourself in the Lord. Then the Bible says, and the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. Now, now notice what he doesn't say. I'll give you the desires of my heart. No, he said, I'll give you the desires of your heart, thine heart, your heart. Why? Because if you're delighting in God, you're going to have desires that are going to be consistent with his will. But they're going to be desires. They're not going to be needs. Don't, don't, don't merge this with Philippians 4.19. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, watch this. What is unfulfilled desire? Unfulfilled desire is the inability to enjoy life and things beyond the need level. It is the inability to enjoy life and things beyond the need level. For example, and, and I'm about to wrap this up, but for example, sometimes my wife and I go shopping and, uh, and I'm like this. There was a time I couldn't help her. I couldn't give her what I wanted to give her. I couldn't do things for her. Well, now I'm in a better position. Now she's in a better position financially. And sometimes we'll be in a department area and, and a department store, and she's in the shoe section. And we see these shoes, and she'll say, that's cute. And she'll say, that's cute. And she'll say, this is cute. And she'll say, this is cute. And she'll say, that's cute. And she'll say, this is cute. Okay. And then I, and she'll say, these shoes. And I, I said, well, why don't you just get both of them? She said, well, and my wife now, she'll say, well, I don't really need that. And I said, what difference does it make? I said, what difference does it make? Why not get something so you'll have different kinds of, you have different kinds. She said, but I don't really need that. I, I don't really need that. I got one of these. I said, well, just get you another one or get you a different kind. What am I doing? I'm trying to express. Now, we, we just have different tastes and different things. I'm not talking about that. But I sometimes try to push my wife, push her out there. It, everything is not just about need. Now, if you don't have the resources, I understand it. But if you do have the resources, and I'm saying God wants you to have them, then don't think, because God can't get you beyond your thinking, don't think everything has to be a need. God wants you to have desires. An unfulfilled desire is the inability to enjoy things and life beyond the need level. For example, let's say you just want to take a vacation. You don't need it. You don't need it, but you want to. 
and you just can't do it. You just can't do it. I am saying God wants you in a position to be able to do it. Maybe financially you can't right now, but I don't want you to live at that level. God don't want you to believe at that level. You can operate at that level and believe for another level. Maybe it's a new car. Well, my old car, it, it, that thing is good. It'll, it'll last forever. It'll, okay, it's fine. If that's, you just love your car. You just want that car. There's nothing wrong. That's not a sin. But God wants you to be able to get you a new one if you want one. Maybe you don't need it. But he wants you to have something other than just what you need. Maybe you want a new car. And I'm saying that's not a sin. Maybe you just want to do something for your family. Maybe you just want to do something for others. Maybe it's not a need. Maybe you just want to do it. You want to be a blessing to somebody. Think about that. I was in a store the other day and a guy was buying some shoes. I wanted to buy the shoes for the guy. Didn't know the guy, but I wanted to do it. But there was something in me. I want to give them shoes for that guy. I didn't know the guy. He seemed like a beautiful guy. I mean, just the, the I just felt something. I felt in my spirit something about this guy. He was a, I felt it. Maybe, I, maybe he wasn't, but I felt he was, and I wanted to bless him. And I did. It wasn't a need. He didn't even need it. In fact, he said, no, at first, he said, no, you don't, you don't have to do that. No, I wanted to. There are things that you want to do, and God has put it in your heart, and he wants you to have the resources to be able to do it. Listen, listen, I wanted to get over into the cure. We didn't even get to the cure today. We didn't even get to the cure, but we did learn some things today that are valuable. We learned the origin of poverty. We learned the nature of poverty, and guess what? We got into the levels of poverty. Now, in our next session, we're going to move over into some other things and begin to talk about the cure for poverty. We're going to talk about, I, I trust you got blessed today. I enjoyed sharing it with you. I didn't get any questions or any comments, but that's all right. I believe you're listening. I believe you were blessed. And we're going to pick up right here next time. But remember, this Thursday, Third, in my Thursday podcast, I'm doing a series on marriage, winning the marriage game. That's at 7 Central Time. Remember, Facebook, you can do YouTube, but always go to Mike Moore Ministries. That's where I'm transitioning to. So get ready for Thursday, winning the marriage game. Look, I love you. Look forward to seeing you next time. Mm -hmm.